If you have your Bibles, go ahead. Let's see, we're gonna turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 38 for our first scripture. And we're starting a new series today called Healed and Whole. And the point of this series is about our divine right to be healed, to live healed and to live whole. We forget, I think in Christendom at times, that Jesus paved the way for us to have a divine right to guarantee as a guarantor on our healing and our wholeness. And again, we, we at times find issues in life that are difficult and they're hard to get through. We find diagnoses, we find ailments and problems. We find things in life that tell us the contrary to what God's promises are, that we are healed and that we are whole. And there's a basic question that comes up in our hearts and our minds when we talk about the idea of being healed. The first of the basic questions is very simple. Am I qualified or worthy for healing? Am I qualified or worthy for healing? Most of us run into that headlong is the first question we ask ourselves when we recognize that there's a promise of God to heal us and to keep us whole. The quick answer is honest. No, you're not qualified. There's nothing in you that qualifies you for healing. There's always personal flaws. There's always something you can point to to say why you are not worthy of healing or God's promises. And the true answer is you're never going to be worthy. Your worthiness doesn't come from yourself. It comes from Christ and what he did. This week, I wanna share a little bit of my personal testimonies regarding healing. And some of you know that a few years ago, I tore tendons off my arms and that wasn't the first time that we, I experienced healing in my body. And some of you are less familiar with the story of when I was in high school playing football and got hit in the side of the knee and tore, all, tore stretched my MCL, my ACL, and then tore a chunk of meniscus off the side of my knee. And it was a devastating thing for a high schooler. Man, I was ready, geared up, ready to play that year. And it was the practice before our first game as a junior. And I get hurt. I'm thinking, come on, man, all those summer two-a-day practices where you're throwing up in that heat in August, man, come on. I went through all that for nothing. And the doctors looked at my knee and I remember the trainer, he grabbed my knee and he started moving. He goes, holy, and I'll let you fill in the blank. But he wasn't real happy with what he saw. And then we went to the orthopedic surgeon and he took some imaging, some uh, MRIs of my knee. And we found out that the tendons were stretched to the point where they're almost broken off the bone, but they weren't quite ripped off the bone yet. The tear in the meniscus, the padding in between the knee joint was about the size of a dime. They said I'd need surgery at least for that and the others would probably need surgery to mend themselves because they don't likely go back to being unstretched. And my parents sat me down and said, listen, the doctors say if you go through with the surgery, you're gonna have six to eight weeks uh, before you're even off the crutches and then you're gonna have time in rehab. So you're gonna miss the season. No matter what we do, you're gonna miss this season anyway. How about we take time and we... We go through some therapy. We go through some therapy on the knee without surgery and we pray and we believe God and see what happens. And I was like, well, I, you know, as a teenager, I was thinking, I don't wanna go under the knife, so let's do that. That sounds much better. I'd never had surgery before, never been in an operating room. And I thought, mm, I don't need none of that. So let's do what we can to see what God will do in this short amount of time. In the first couple of weeks, I was up and walking around. Doctors were pretty... Pretty excited about that. Within the first six weeks, the length they said it would take for me just to rehab from surgery and get out of the boot and get walking on my own, I was already squatting with weights on my shoulders. The coaches were pretty astonished and I was pretty astonished myself. That God had healed, healed my leg. Now, when I say God healed my leg, I don't say God healed my leg. 
and I stomp around with a limp and act like God did something he didn't. And I don't get, you know, every once in a while, you know, as I get older, I'm feeling different things as the weather changes, but that's not necessarily associated to that injury. I don't have like this trick knee that when it's about to rain, I get that tinge in my, in my joint. God literally healed the joint. He healed the tendons. He healed the meniscal tear in the knee. There's no separation in that knee. Now, that was when I was a child. And as I got older and started to think a little more about healing and the prospects of healing, I can tell you that it isn't as easy of a pill to swallow when you get a little older. In fact, many of us deal with that issue about how difficult it is to accept the promises of God because of our state of worthiness. Are we worthy or aren't we? The facts are when something goes wrong in our body, we tend to think to the idea of one, are the promises true? Are they yes and amen? Are they factual? And then second, are we worthy? And even if we find ourselves in a case where we believe we are worthy of the promises of God, the moment things start to go wrong, we start to identify with our old self, our old behavior patterns, our past. We, we start to kind of lean towards that old dead person who's dead and gone because we are new creations in Christ. We start to go back to old thinking and old behavior patterns. And many times those even steal away the hope for healing in our lives. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. <clears throat> and it says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went out doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. This word healing in the Greek is, is not a generic Greek word for the idea of healing. This is a very specific word that Paul uses and he uses in instances of supernatural or the practical outworking of a supernatural healing. In fact, he uses this word, this specific Greek word for healing when he wants to point the reader to the great physician, the Lord himself. Paul uses this in a context all throughout scripture, this concept of healing, that it is supernatural, that it is divine. So he went about healing in a God-given or God-prescribed way, in a, in a miraculous way, for all the purposes of pointing back to the Messiah, pointing back to his Godhood and his God state. But there's more to the story John chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do, but greater works than these because I go to my father. So Jesus, we see a pattern and we see an idea of who he is as a person. Part of his character was that he operated in this concept of divine healing to the extent that he would pray for those and they would, those who were oppressed and by the way, it says oppressed of the devil. The devil is just a nice way of saying that anything that's contrary to God's promises or God's purposes in life is the antithesis. It is the devil. The devil is clearly laid out in scripture from New Testament to Old Testament as the antithesis or he is, he is God's adversary. And anytime something comes up in our life, that's the opposite of what, of what are the promises of God. We can look to it and say, that's the effect of the devil. It's the effect of the adversary to God's promises or God's best. All of those who were afflicted of the devil, he was healing them. All of those who were experiencing the opposite of God's promises, he was putting to right what was broken. He is healing them. And then John states the words of Jesus, you're gonna do these works and greater works. 
Yet for many of us in a generation, we failed to even see the works that Christ did, let alone the greater works. However, we're taught that Jesus healed not because he was man, but because he was God. We're, we're taught at times, even in church, that Jesus was allowed to heal or that the, the, the power of God, the nature of God was really what brought about a healing. That Jesus was able to pray for the miraculous and the impossible, not because of who he was as a man, but because of who he was, because of who he was in his divine state. Honestly, this is probably one of the worst teachings that the body of Christ has ever heard. We've heard an idea that Jesus was separate from us, that the miracles that he performed, that we can't be part and parcel to, even though his own words stated that the great works that he did, not only would we do, but we would do greater things. If you look at the life of Christ, it is miraculous. Everywhere Jesus shows up on the scene, either a miracle is about to happen, is in, is in the context of happening, or is it, it is just past, it has just happened. You can't read the story of Jesus without a miracle somewhere around his life. There are literally 37 miracles, 37 times miracles are represented in the four gospels. Of those 37 miracles, 23 of them speak directly to physical healing, healing physical ailments or healing issues of the body. And that's not even counting those who are raised from the dead. So 64% of the miracles that we see represented in the New Testament, in the life of Christ, are the miraculous and they are healing moments where people were healed from diseases and issues and ailments that they were born with and from people who were healed with issues and diseases that they contracted along life's journey. But everywhere we see Jesus, we see the miraculous and no more do we see the miraculous than we see physical healing. It's a very important statement that Jesus heals he went around as the character and nature of who he is, healing the sick, all of those who are not experiencing God's best, God's plan, God's purpose, and that he stated that we should do the same thing, but not the same thing, even greater works that he's doing, that we should experience that great power and nature of our God. So then why aren't we? Why aren't we? Why aren't we seeing at our hands the, the sick being healed? Why aren't we seeing the manifestation of the power of God to that degree? Well, I believe it's because we've gotten away from preaching a very basic idea that Jesus himself spoke of. It's the authority of the believer. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter nine and verse two through eight, go ahead and turn there. But as we turn there and as we read this portion of scripture, there's a phrase that's gonna stick out. At least it does for me and I hope you think of it. It says, and they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. That, that concept, he's given such authority to men. It's gonna jump out of the pages hopefully for you. And we'll read from verse two. And they brought to him, to Jesus, a paralytic man laying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic man, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow, this Jesus, he's blasphemous. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said, why, why are you thinking evil things in your heart? Which is easier to say, the words of Jesus here, which is easier to say, you're forgiven of your sins or get up and walk. But so that those, so, uh, but so that, 
You may know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic man, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now let's unpack that for a second and see what happened. A paralytic man was brought before Jesus, a man who was obviously from birth, born with an ailment. He was paralyzed. He wanted relief. He needed healing. He wanted to be more than just a beggar his entire life. His friends saw the potential and the stories they had heard surrounding this great Messiah that maybe this man can finally bring relief and bring healing. They laid him out in front of Jesus. Jesus sees the man. The first thing he says is, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this should strike us as as odd because Jesus hadn't made his way to the cross yet. Jesus Jesus hadn't done what we claim as the key to forgiveness. No, rather than that, Jesus being God and all God was able to forgive in that moment just because he's God. He didn't need to pay off Lady Justice. He didn't need to finally set God's heart right for us because we know God's heart has always been right towards us. He simply forgave and in forgiving, he establishes a baseline for this man's life of worthiness. Are you worth it? Jesus looked at the baggage the man had carried his entire life and I'm sure he wasn't perfect like many of us even though he was paralyzed. Even though he was a paralytic man, I'm sure he had hidden sins just like everyone in this room has even though he was a paralytic man. I'm sure that there was a hardness of heart that had grown over him from time to time yet Jesus overlooks his past and says, you are forgiven of your sins and the religious elite said, who do you think you are? This is heresy and Jesus said, you wanna see heresy? How much easier is it to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk and be made whole in a statement of establishing a baseline of worthiness for this individual, Jesus then moves on into healing his physical body. You have to establish a baseline that you are worth it, that your past is of no consequence, your past failures, your past issues, your past sin, they do not keep you from his healing power and presence. They do not keep you from being made whole via the sacrifice of Jesus. We as Christians have to get a new understanding of what it is to be a Christian in flesh and in blood because the story goes on. And he says in verse six, but so that you may know that the son of God, no, the son of man, has authority on earth to forgive sins, pick up your mat, go home, you're healed. In order to solidify the baseline idea of worthiness, Jesus heals his physical body. You wanna know if you're worth it, I'll forgive your sins. You want me to prove it to you? I'll heal your body. This is, the, this is the context in which we see the authority of the believer start to shake, take shape because Jesus operated not out of calling himself the son of God and focusing on his divinity, but calling himself the son of man and focusing on his humanity. And later on in verse seven, he says, they glorified God who had given such authority to men. You and I have that same authority as Christ followers. It's gonna blow your mind, something that's gonna bake in your noodle for a week. You have the authority. Listen, you have the authority when someone comes to Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. You have the right to look them in the face. And if no one's ever said it to you, 
and you follow Jesus, your past, your present, your future sins, they are forgiven. They were dealt with at the cross. There is a sense of worthiness that should explode in your heart because the God of the universe chose to forgive you of your sins, your past, present, future sins. All of those moments, he knew that you would side with God's arch enemy, that you would fall prey to the wiles of the devil, that you would fall prey to things that are contrary to the promises of God. Every time he knew that you would do it, He still chose to forgive you. He still chooses to forgive you. But out of an extent to show how worthy you are, he also extends a hand to heal. So that once he sets the baseline that you are worthy, you are free from the bondage of sin, you are worthy of forgiveness. Now to prove your worthiness, he has promised to heal your body. But more than that, Scripture says that we, as human persons, we have that same self-authority in God, that those who come to Jesus, you are, he- you are uh, forgiven, and that those that come to a saving knowledge in Christ, you are also healed. You have the right to live healed and to live whole. You have the right to live free from sickness and disease. You have the right to take ownership of your healing, but it comes as we reconcile the thought, are you worthy? At times, we're waiting for a special anointing or power to be healed. We're waiting for that special one to pray for us. We're waiting for that special moment. We're waiting for those feelings to encapsulate us, to let us know that finally God's on the move and on the march, and he's finally going to do something about my situation. We're waiting for an anointing that God says is already ours, as if there's some special power and anointing to heal that's only available to some and not to others. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27. I'm gonna run through this very quickly because last time I took too much time. And it says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. This writer here is giving us an admonishment that we are to understand the anointing that we've received, that we are to understand that anointing and to remain in him, and that through that anointing, we have a knowing, a calling, a burdening in our heart that says the promises of God are yes and amen, that they're true and that they should be realized for each and every one of us. An anointing or the concept of anointing is just an unction, it's a knowing. It's an unction, it's a knowing, it's an understanding, it's, it's a persuasion of the heart. Specifically, it's referencing the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit that he guides us into all truth and guiding the believers to receive the full promises of God. That we were guided by the knowing and internal motivation to recognize and to understand the promises of God. There's something in all of us once we get saved that when we hear a promise of God, we wanna latch onto it. There's something in us, even when we're not saved, that we hear the promises of God and we wish and we hope for it. But when we're saved, man, there's something in us that's like jumping out. Yeah, that's it. That's that anointing. That's that knowing. That's that unction that says, yes, that's for you. And when we hear it, sometimes we don't know how to release it and let it run roughshod in our life. Sometimes we, we, we keep it under a box. We keep it under a lid because we're afraid of where it might take us. There is already resident in every believer, an unction, an anointing 
for every promise of God to be realized and to be experienced. There is in you an unction, a knowing, an anointing that wants every promise of God to be realized and to be experienced in full force. Mark chapter six, verse five and six. And he could do no miracles except that he lay hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. This is a statement of Jesus. He was in his own hometown. He was teaching in the synagogue. When I was in Israel last time, we had an opportunity to stand in a synagogue that looked much like the synagogue where Jesus would have taught. It was a room a little bit smaller than this, pillars on all the sides and towards the entrance, there was the prime seat or the privileged seat. And you'd walk up, if you were to read the Bible that day in front of your peer group, you would walk up and sit on that seat and there's no doubt Jesus sat there. And then as the time for the reading came, he was expected to march down amongst the crowd, walk up to the front of the stage and to read from the scrolls. He read from the scrolls and he started to explain them and give them nuance and and understanding and insight. And as he did, the crowd wondered, who is this guy? Isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this just the son of the carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's boy? Who does he think he is? Their heart started to grow cold to the extent that he could do no major miracles, nothing of note other than heal a few people who were sick. There's a paradox of accepting healing and wholeness. Jesus healed not because he was God, um, not because he had a particular anointing or anything different than we haven't been granted but because he understood his place in the kingdom. Jesus understood his set place in the kingdom, not because he was God, not because he had a special anointing, but because he understood that healing is part of that kingdom and part of that promise. Just before Jesus would visit a town, we understand that he had a forerunner. He had someone who would go out and, and they would shout about Jesus coming. And the main job of this forerunner was to do what is stated in Matthew chapter 10 and verse seven, that the kingdom of God is near, that they were to run out and to tell people just before Jesus showed up, the kingdom of God is near. Think of the original hype man, Flava Flav, man, public enemy, right? He'd jump out on that stage and get all excited and get that crowd hopping. Jesus had a hype man who'd come into town and be like, come on, people. The the kingdom of God, the answers from heaven, the Messiah is coming. The original hype man would stand up and get the crowd pumped and hyped, and then Jesus would show up and preach the kingdom of God. Is it any wonder wonder that he saw miracles? Is it any wonder that he saw healings? Is it any wonder that he understood what it was to bring the message, the full message of the gospel and all its implications? Here's what it would have looked like, that there's one coming who heals. There's one coming who forgives sins. There's one coming who does the miraculous. However, in the American church, we've learned to believe a gospel that tells us we are trained to intellectualize the gospel. We're trained to question. We're trained to doubt. Half the time, folks in here are trained to Google and make sure I'm giving the right scripture reference. I know it never happens in here. It's somewhere else. It happens every week. In fact, sometimes I'm wrong and that's okay. But we're trained as, as the American church to be a little bit doubtful when we hear the words of the scripture. We're trained to run it by our favorite commentary, our favorite preacher, our favorite TV personality. We're trained to run it by another voice and to see if it still holds weight. Yet first century Jews 
waited with anticipation. When someone claimed that they would, uh, they would possibly be the Messiah, the deliverer of God's people, they were trained that they needed to believe in it. They wanted to believe in his personhood. They needed the hope that would, be, that would come by this delivering Messiah. So when he came and preached, the kingdom of God is near and there is one coming who saves, who heals and delivers, the crowd would get hyped and excited, except for in his hometown except for in his hometown where unbelief was the key factor, where Jesus himself couldn't overcome the unbelief, the hardness of heart, the doubting foes, where Jesus himself couldn't pierce through and only did a few miracles, but literally nothing of note. This whole series is designed to break down unbelief. Everything that we do in the healing rooms is designed to break down unbelief. Everything we do in a sozo session is designed to break down unbelief. Every prophetic word given in this church is designed to break down unbelief because unbelief is the one thing that keeps you at bay and says, no, no, God did those miracles because he's God, not because he's human. And what authority do I have? I'm not, I, I, I'm not Jesus or I'm not, I'm not the Pope. I'm just an average Joe. The scripture is true that we read today that says he gave this authority to all men, forgiveness of sins, healing of the sick. Those that are in Christ, those that come to Jesus, they accept him for who he is. You have every right. You are, you are, you are forgiven of your sin and you have every right. You are healed of your ailment. You are healed of your issues. In a nutshell, Healing and wholeness comes as we believe and we express authority. Healing and wholeness in our life come as we believe and express authority. Now, this isn't easy. I'm not gonna lie and tell you that this is an easy everyday event, that this is something that you should just passively walk through, like walking through a, a field of, of petunias on a spring day. Man, this is hard. In our own life, in our son's life, many of you know who's confronted with an infection not too long ago, a few months ago, and from the doctor's prognosis, there could be some long-term effects. So his mother and I wake up every day and we believe God that kid's healed. We thank God that he's healed. We pray over him that he's healed. We're trusting God for his healing. We believe every day that he's gonna hit all the markers the doctors, doctors expect him to hit so that he doesn't have any remnant of that infection in his body so that nothing in his life is put off course because of this infection. We followed through with the surgery just as they had asked. We, we listened to wise advice, but now we stand on the shoulders of the great physician, believing he is healed and whole, believing that his little body is lining up with scripture. And it doesn't mean that we don't fear at times. It doesn't mean that fear doesn't creep in the conversation. It simply means that we have to put down fear by understanding, no, he is a child of God. We are born again believers. There's nothing in our past, in our future, in our momentary mess ups that can derail the promises of God. And we trust in the authority that God has given us that this child is healed. Romans chapter eight in verse 10 and 11 says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's about salvation that this body's going to decay and fall away eventually. We're all gonna get old and eventually we'll find heaven as our home. And that spirit is alive, eternal. Then he moves on to verse 11. But if the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead also gives life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. Paul is saying very specifically, uh, the, the, the issues of forgiveness of sin and salvation has been taken care of. Uh, this body could decay and fall away and you're gonna find heaven as your home for those of you that are in Christ. But there's more to the story, that there's one on the inside of us that has packed in his personhood the resonance of the power of God that literally raised Jesus from the dead, that infused life into lifelessness, that brought what was dead back to life. That same power is supposed to quicken, give life, give inspiration, give vitality to our mortal bodies. That even today, that no matter how sick you feel, no matter how hurt you are, when that Holy Spirit is resident on the inside of you, that that is the instituting factor of the healing presence of God. And that you can, with authority, say, I am the healed of God. Not because of anything on my own merit, but because of that Spirit working in me. We have God's Spirit we have God's spirit and his life in us. We have the presence of this Holy Spirit that gives life, not just spiritual life, but also physical life. We don't have to worry and wonder if we are going to live a lifestyle of pain and hurt, that we can take a confident expectation that we will live healed and whole. This is a message that isn't preached enough. It's not preached enough because we're scared. It's not preached enough because the church is scared. What if it doesn't happen for everybody? Let me explain something to you. If I find, if somehow disease finds its way to my door, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't a healer. If something happened in my life that's contrary to the word of God, it doesn't negate what he said. My experiences don't define him. He defines himself. And he's already said he is our healer. Remember the original hype man, Flavor Flav. It's all about extending hope and excitement. It's all about extending, uh, giving us a proactive view of the kingdom of God as it's ushered into our life, that all of his promises are yes and amen, that the kingdom of God is near, that the life of God is in you, and that your physical body is given vitality by the very Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. Your sickness pales in comparison to a dead life being brought back. Your sickness pales in comparison to life being restored to a lifeless Jesus. Any dead or sick issue can and will and must be brought back to life as we exercise our authority as believers. Listen, maybe you're at the place and you're thinking, I'm just not there yet, dude. I hear what you're saying, but I'm all full of doubt and this, this is difficult and it's hard. And you need to get with somebody who believes. You need to get with somebody like the team that will be up here praying after service Get with them who believe and let them pray with you and convince you and help turn the tide that's in your head that tells you to want to believe something contrary to the promises of God. You need to get here and get prayed for. Every single month, we have two Sundays a month, the first and the third Sunday, where folks lock themselves in a room and, pay for, and pray for people who have physical ailments and physical issues who need, desperately need a healing. You need to be a part of that if there's something wrong that you're facing in your life. If there's a physical ailment, you need to be there so that the doubt and unbelief that might surround your situation is, is just chopped away at bit by bit by bit. We are given a responsibility as believers to take on and shoulder the burdens of one another. The Bible's very clear that we are to shoulder the burdens of our brothers and sisters 
But the Bible does not tell us that we should put on the burden of those around us just to suffer in pain with them. We are to shoulder the burden to help them recognize and realize the answer that's only found in Jesus. We are to shoulder the burden, not so they stay sedentary, but so they move forward in the things of God and they experience the healing that he's promised. They experience the vitality that he's promised. They experience the win in their situation that Jesus has promised. We are here as a church to help break down the idea of doubt and unbelief. And I'll be honest, I said it last, uh, at the end of last year, and I meant it for this year. I expect to see more of the miraculous this year than we ever have. We, we, we kicked that off a little bit at the end of last year when we got the call that Bill was having the stroke and his miraculous turnaround. We kicked that off a little bit with even my son and the situation he was in and how bad it could have gotten, but God curbing the issue. But there are more stories that are out there there are more people who are hurting, not just under this roof, but in this community. And I believe that if we extend this message of healing and wholeness, that folks will come in and expect God to do the miraculous because they're at their wit's end. Let's be honest, there are folks living in pain. There are folks living in hurt. There are folks living in de depression. There are folks living with emotional scars and they have no way to see themselves out of it on their own power. But once they come headlong with the message that Jesus came to seek and save, and not only to seek and save and to forgive us of our sins, but also to bring healing to any broken situation in our life and in our body, that will rejuvenate their expectation. They will hear you as the hype man in their life saying the kingdom of God is near. There's one who saves, there's one who delivers, and there's one who heals but we have so lost track of that message. The kingdom of God is here. It is now, it is in front of us. He saves, he delivers, and he heals. We need to come back to that place where we boldly proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And if you're unaware, the kingdom of God is right here in this room. Not because this church is particularly different than any other church, but because this church takes it on its shoulders to believe the word of God in full faith that he was true to his word when he wrote it down. He wasn't a man that he should lie, but that he told us the facts of the scenario. And the fact is you are healed.